testimonies tonight. Thank you for your goodness and your provision. We thank you for specific answers to specific prayers. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you do not need our specific prayers to take care of us and to supply our needs and keep us safe in your hand. We thank you for being so good and so gracious. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz? All right. We'll have our deaf, I mean our deaf, I'm sorry, that's Sunday school. Our youth? Maybe I was right in the first, um, I'm sorry. Sometimes teens do have selective hearing, do they not? All right. Take your Bibles, if you would. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And, uh, yes, there we go. Let our teens be dismissed. Pray for them as they're preparing for camp this summer. And our teens have an awful lot to put up with in this life. The wicked days in which we live. Pray for their parents. They also have an awful lot to put up with. Amen? From the teens. You just wait, Brother Dave. But uh, Luke chapter 18. And this is a familiar story. The parable of the unjust judge, we call this story. Jesus, in many parables, he just gives us the parable... This one is a little different. This one, he explains the point. He explains the issue that he wants you to receive instruction on before he gives you the story. So let's just start reading here. Read down through verse 8. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him, with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now this is a Strange little story, to to be sure. But here is the end. This is the point that Jesus wanted us to get from this story, that men ought always to pray. What is your first response? Uh, I mean, how many of you have heard those ads on on the television? What if your world turns upside down? Do you have a plan? Do you have emergency preparedness kit? Do you have, do you have, do you have... Hey, uh, can I ask you a question? Should not your first response be to pray? Can you tell me a situation where prayer 
will not be the most effective answer to the problem. We, we need to learn to respond biblically. What do we do? Our first response usually is, give me a minute, i got to figure this out. Has anybody ever tried that? How much figuring did you really get accomplished before the roof fell in? Hopefully you weren't standing under it when that happened. But, I mean, sometimes while we're trying to figure out what's happening, we can actually be putting ourselves in grave danger by waiting until we comprehend what's going on instead of men ought always to pray. And by the way, ladies, you're included in that. I mean, it's talking about mankind. Everyone ought always to pray. said, that's not a problem. When my husband drives, I always pray. No. Hope you're not of that attitude. But look at the, the next part here. Here is the point. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Has anybody ever fainted? I mean, actually, really, truly. I did one time. Uh, my mom had a reclining chair and I love that thing man I go the whole way back until my feet were higher than my head and I just lay there and read and somebody rang the doorbell and I didn't even move the chair into the right position I just popped up out of that chair and all of, I found, all of a sudden I found out there wasn't enough blood in my head to keep my eyes open boom I think when I got to the door, there was nobody there. I'm not quite sure. But have you ever done that spiritually? I am prepared. I'm ready to serve the Lord today. And when we wake up, it's too late. You know what? You fainted. The cure for fainting is not spiritual exercises. The cure for fainting is not reading your Bible every day. The cure for fainting is praying always. That little word ought, that means the desired action. I ought to have answered right on the questions of the test, right? It doesn't always work that way, now does it? But I should have put or ought to have put the right answers down on the test if I had prepared and studied properly before I took the test. Now, if you didn't prepare before you took the test, then you ought not take the test. Sometimes you don't have that option. Here's the answer. Men ought always to pray 
and not to faint. Now, Jesus is telling us this because he wants us to be thinking about this when we read the story. If we think about anything else and read the story, the problem is we're going to miss the point that Jesus wanted us to get. Are we together on this? Uh, Always, Jesus doesn't always give us the point of the parable. Sometimes he just lets us figure that thing out. And boy, I'll tell you, people figure things that God never figured in there. But here he's telling us this is the point. So now let's get into the story with the point in hand. Let us make sure that we use this as a focusing lens to make sure that our mind and our thoughts do not run astray from the point that Jesus wants us to get. Okay, we have a city. We have a judge in that city. Now, the judge was the man that was responsible for enforcing the law. He would be kind of like the sheriff and the district attorney. And and, uh, more often than not, the judge and the jury and the executioner all all wrapped up in the one guy. Uh, I mean, this judge had a lot of leeway and a lot of authority. And if you'll remember, the, the judge system here uh, is not necessarily referring to what went on in the book of Judges, but more uh, connected to what happened in the wilderness there as they were coming up out of the land of Egypt. The people stood before Moses from morning till evening to be judged of him. You remember that? And Moses' father-in-law came along and said, this isn't good. You and this whole people are going to wear away. You're going to have to appoint responsible men over certain groups and people, uh, different numbers that you'll make them responsible for. And the things that the judge of ten can't handle, the judge of a hundred will handle. The things the judge of a hundred can't handle, the judge of a thousand will handle. And the things that the judge of a thousand can't handle, bring that to Moses and he'll handle it. It was a great system. God blessed that. This judge was in charge of a city. The only problem was this judge did not fear God. I only have one word for somebody who's not afraid of God. Stupid. Isn't that a good word? I mean, ignorance is one thing. Ignorance can be fixed. Stupid can't, because that's being ignorant on purpose. That is willfully choosing not to know or administering the truth. And I'll tell you what, all of us at one time or another ought to put a big old patch, stupid, right on our forehead and let people know that we are what we are. But by the grace of God, He forgives us and lets us go on. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be tattooed, amen? Uh, just a temporary badge of our ignorance in our foolishness concerning the word of God. But this judge didn't fear God. He didn't care. He was not worried that God was going to review his decisions. And the Bible tells us that God is. But he neither regarded man. He didn't care about people either. Now, how do you get to a position 
of responsibility and you don't care about God who is the source of all righteousness, the only one who can discern the difference between right and wrong, the only one who has the ability to tell us, and you don't care about people either. If I make a decision and it hurts somebody, tough. It's just the way it is. I'll tell you, he was a candidate for our society today. The selfish generation. I think they ought to call this generation the me generation. Because it's all about me. I got my iPad and my iBook and my iPhone and my i this and i that. It's a wonder you have any eyes left to see with. Of course you don't. Blinded by all, everything is about you. That's where this judge was. He didn't care about people. He didn't care about God. The only thing he cared about was that beautiful, handsome reflection in the mirror. And you know, they tell us that men look at a mirror differently than women do. When a woman looks in the mirror, she sees things. And she gets out, uh, I call it the patch kit. And she says, I see this problem over here, four or five layers of this and six or eight of this. And, and, and I'll patch this thing up and nobody will know it's there. You know what happens when a man looks in the mirror? If he's losing his hair, he sees the reflection of himself when he had a full head of hair. It's just there, I promise you. It's a magic mirror. If a man looks in the mirror and he's getting fat, you know what he sees? Thin and trim. That's the way men look in the mirror. That's the way this judge looked at himself. He had no problems until trumpet fanfare, da-da-da-da, the widow shows up. Now he's got a problem. So we look at verse 3. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine enemy. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think of a little old shriveled up little old lady in her 90s. Avenge me of mine enemy. And he's like, You're too old. You have no concerns. You're not going to make any difference. You're not making any trouble for me. You're not making any trouble for anybody else in this city. I've got no problems until you show up. Go away. Next morning, who's standing there first to see the judge? Avenge me of mine enemy. I'm going to get even if it's the last thing I do. And she keeps coming back. The Bible does not give her any justification for this desire for vengeance. It just says she has it. Somebody wronged her. And if anything was going to happen, if the sun comes up, I'm going to get justice. You ever met anybody like that? I'll tell you what, they get things done. 
You know why? Because they don't quit until it happens. But look what she says here. She says, avenge me of mine adversary. She says, I want you to judge my enemy. Now, how do you get an enemy? You walk down the street and the first time you meet somebody, they become your enemy. No, it it takes a little bit of effort now, doesn't it? I'll guarantee this lady had talked with this person who had become her adversary. And maybe this person who had become her adversary had gotten tired and frustrated and worn out with her. And I'm just going to do everything I can to torment this old woman. I'm tired of putting up with her. I'm just going to be mean. You ever met anybody who was just mean for meanness sake? I mean, there's lots of people like that in the world. I hope you don't meet too many of them, but they're out there. She counted this person as her personal enemy. He had become, or she had become, the person, this adversary. (coughs) Excuse me, I thought we were going to make it through. Had absorbed her attention and her life. Being a widow, there was nothing she could do to return the attacks of her adversary. And she had probably said, I'm going to the judge. And I imagine her adversary, who knew the judge, would have laughed in her face and said, he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about men, and he doesn't care about you, little old lady. Goodbye. Couldn't you see that happening? Now, where else was she going to go? She was a widow. Her husband wasn't going to solve the problem. The Bible gives no mention of sons. Maybe they had grown old and had died as well. We don't know. Or maybe they were too young. And this adversary had taken their only hope of a future by refusing to unmortgage properties. I mean, there was lots of opportunities we could read in here. It may have been she had the most righteous motives in the world. The Bible doesn't tell us. But even if her husband and sons had tried to do something about it, would that have been the way of the Bible? No, because they weren't following the law. Only the judge could execute punishment. And so she went to the only venue that she could get help from. Now, here's how she was treated. She was ignored. It says, and he would not for a while. Let me ask you a question. How long is a while? Could I offer you a working definition of a while? 
It's about 10 times longer than you think it ought to be. Does that sound like a good working definition of a while? Somebody says, just wait a little while and I'll be ready. It's always 10 times longer than I think it ought to be. Don't you? When you're parking, just a minute. What a lie. Nobody moves their car in a minute. You're going to be waiting there 10 minutes and get a ticket for double parking while you're trying to get the spot, right? I mean, here's what's going on. And yet, what does the judge say? Verse 4. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she Weary me. Now, when we look at that word weary, you know what we think of? She's going to tire me out. No, that's not what the word weary really means. It means she's going to grind me down. Now, how can a little widow woman take a big, strong judge and grind him down? By her continual coming. You know what? People in town are going to start asking questions. Why do you go to the judge's house every day? Because he won't avenge me of mine enemy. Mine adversary. I wonder if she got the newspapers involved. And the local people started coming up. Now, judge, what do you think about this? I mean, what do you think about the widow's cause here? Uh, I was reading in one definition, it comes from two Greek words. One of them means to give a black eye like a boxer or a pugilist. Is one of the root words here for the word weary. Now, how could this little woman knock down a judge? By... Keeping coming. She's going to destroy his reputation. You know, it's one thing when we think the judge doesn't care. It's another thing when this little old woman proves it every day. You see the difference? Now, again, what's our point? That men are always to pray and not to faint. This woman just keeps coming. And she keeps coming. And the judge finally says within himself... I can't put up with this anymore. She wins. I surrender. I'm going to go out and clobber this guy. Good story, right? And it gets played out every so often. We'll find somebody that has enough tenacity to force something to come to a head. But verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Now I want you to get this. This is what the Jesus is saying. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And we're going to stop and not get that last question for a minute. 
Jesus said, listen to the unjust judge. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. But he will avenge the widow because she got to him because she kept coming. Are you accusing God of being the unjust judge? That's the story here. That's the point. You see, when we stop praying, we give up on God. And we say that God doesn't care about my situation. Now, is that ever true? No, it's not ever true. That's why men ought always to pray. If the unjust judge will be persuaded, you don't have to persuade God. He already wants to do what is best. That is his nature as God. But there's another point here. It says, though he bear long with them. Does God have the right to tell you to wait? Uh, yeah. Does God have the right to do what he sees fit in his time period and not yours? Nod your head up and down if you're still in agreement, if I haven't put you to sleep yet. You see... The response is always to pray and never to stop praying because praying keeps our focus on God and his character and tells us that though he may make us wait, he may bear long with us, he may tell us to wait a while, that he as a good God is always going to answer and he's always going to do what's right because he does regard the sparrow that falls. He has the number of hairs upon your head counted. Do we condemn God by giving up on prayer? That's the question Jesus is asking here. And the second, let's look at that last question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Have you ever thought about that question, why it is where it is? Are we going to give up on God doing right. You know what? I pray for President Obama. Is it going to stop him from doing more wickedness? No. But it's going to keep my focus on God where it belongs. I pray for our mayor. I thought the trans fat ban was the stupidest thing that he could ever come up with. 
I'll tell you what. I, I'd like to find out if there's a candidate we could endorse for mayor next time around. We ought to get somebody to dress up like a big Slurpee drink and just go around and follow the follow whoever Bloomberg endorses and, and just taunt them the whole way through this thing. I mean, this is ridiculous. Somebody said, there's no such... Why should you have a soft drink the size of a swimming pool? Is there anybody in here that can swim in a 44-ounce drink? I mean, you can't hardly get your hand wet in there, and who would want to do it anyway? I want to drink the thing. And if somebody comes out with a 64-ounce... I'm in. How about you? I, I'm just so tired of this foolishness. But why do we give up on God doing right? We get weary. We faint. We stop praying. We get discouraged. Why? Because we're thinking wrong about God. Let's remember a few things. He is not the unjust judge. Amen? He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of this world. He is the definition of justice and holiness. And if you and I do not keep our prayers focused on Him, we will faint. And He says, when I come back, most people who will name my name will have fainted. That's what that statement says. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes back, I've heard all kinds of fantastic stories about where people would like to be when Jesus returns, when the rapture occurs. Heard one preacher tell the story, he said, I'd like to be getting a traffic ticket. And the cops are writing my ticket and I disappear. He then added that with my luck, he'd be a Christian. He could finish writing it out on the way up, right? I don't want to be doing wrong when Jesus comes back. I want to be praying. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To be talking to Jesus in prayer. To the Father, in Jesus' name, actually. And open our eyes. And see the Savior. That'd be cool. That'd be wonderful. I don't know if cool's a good adjective, but it'd be great. It'd be incredible. You know what? It'd be awesome. How about that? The proper use of the word. When Jesus comes, let's not be among the faithless. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for this story and your word.
And Lord, we ask that you would encourage us always to pray and not to faint. Before we finish that prayer, if you need to slip out of your seat and spend a few minutes at the altar, the altar is open. We'll take just a few moments before we get into our actual prayer time tonight. 